I hope you'll stay around at fellowship. That would be wonderful. Um, yeah. Okay. Brooke asked me to share a little testimony when um, I had a hard time tithing. And I appreciate that because I did. When we first got married, Brooke came from a family that they walked with the Lord. Her mom and dad walked with the Lord. They put God first in their finances. And they had really hard times off and on, but God always provided for them, many times unexpectedly. Brooke grew up putting God first and tithing. Even if she made a dollar allowance, she put a dime in the offering box. I, I grew up in a family that went to church, and they believed in God, but they didn't really put God first. They just did their little religious thing, and then we went home. And so I didn't know what it meant to tithe. And I hear I, I get saved as a freshman in, in college. I'm 19 years old. And uh, I get married to Brooke about um, five, six years later. And I had never been faithful. I'd given a, you know, a, little, bit, um, a little bit of money, money here or there in an offering, but I had never made a commitment to God. And so Brooke challenged me when we got married. And here I am, I'm working for a roofing company, making $7 an hour. And um, she said, are we going to be faithful to God and put God first in our giving, or are, we gonna, are you just going to do your own thing? And I, I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and I said, Brooke, I said, we can hardly survive. I'm making $7 an hour. You know, back then, 40 years ago, that was a lot more than it is now, uh, but it wasn't that much more. It was minimum wage. So that'd be about the same as $13 an hour now. I don't think we can live on $13 an hour unless you got some extra help. And uh, so I, I realized, I prayed, and I felt like the Lord said, you going to trust me? And it was hard. I was fearful. I really struggled with fear of, when it came to finances. And I, but I said, all right, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to put you first. So I wrote the first check. When I got my paycheck, I wrote the first check out for 10%, and we put it in the offering plate. And I continued to do that from that day, which is 1980, 1981. And how many years ago was that now? 42, 43. And, uh, and we have had so many miracle provisions. I mean, Brooke and I can stand up here and tell you miracle provision after miracle provision. Um, situations where we should have been killed or we should have had a car wrecked or we should have had our house fall apart or whatever. And God has continued continued to hold us in his hand and it's caused my faith slowly to grow and more and more to where my confidence today that God's going to meet our needs it's just it's higher than it's ever been and my fear of us not of something happening is just slowly and slowly gone away as I've trusted God and put him first so I just encourage you to experience that. I know many of you could get up and share that testimony this morning. In fact, I could name five or six I'm looking at right now easily that can say, that's what we've done and God has been there for us. So I encourage you, everybody, you really want to experience that. It's incredible. All right, this morning, we're, it's Kids Sunday. We're going to have a little fun. We're, doing a, we're going to talk about four people that we talked about last month. We talked about... Anybody remember the names of any of the four people we talked about last month? Jonah, Daniel, Esther, 
Nehemiah. Good. Oh, of course they're on the screen. Uh, so we're going to take another look at Jonah, Daniel, Esther, and Nehemiah this morning. And it's going to be fun and it's going to be probably kind of brief. These four stories are amazing and they really capture our attention because all four of them had huge challenges in their lives. But they experienced God and who God was for them in an incredible way. And in the same way that they experienced God, He wants you and me to experience Him. So, of course, Jonah, he's the one that's really the loser of the bunch. Because Jonah, oh yeah, I forgot, Brooke is waving the phone at me. You can turn to your Calvary app and follow along and have the notes there. The notes are also on the, um, right on the corner there of the uh, counter, and you can get a paper copy if you don't have the app. So maybe Lola could pass those out like she's so faithful to do. If you need a copy of the notes to follow along, just raise your hand. Lola will get you a copy. I made enough for everybody to have some today. So Jonah was the one that blew it. So when Jonah ran away from God, what did he run into? A whale of a problem, didn't he? Jonah, God asked him to go and tell God's message to people who Jonah did not like. They were people that Jonah despised. They were a different race of people, so Jonah was prejudiced. Jonah was judgmental. And Jonah did not care about what God thought about these people. Because God cared about these people from modern day Assyria, or Syria. In modern day terms, they would have been Muslims. And Jonah was a Jew. But back then there weren't Muslims yet because Muhammad wasn't born until about 550 A.D. So God sent Jonah and said, I want you to go tell my message to these people. And Jonah said, no way. And he ran the other direction. And he got on a ship. The ship got in a big storm. And they finally had to throw Jonah overboard when he told them he was the reason for the storm, right? And Jonah got thrown in and the whale or a big fish, it says, swallowed him, and then three days later spit him up on the beach. So what is the big takeaway about Jonah? Is that we each have to come to a point where, like Jonah, didn't come to the point of where we can say, I am no better than the worst sinner I ever meet. Did you hear that? I am no better than the worst sinner. Do you believe that this morning about yourself? Or do you think that somehow you're just a good person? You're just a good person. God would smile on you when He won't smile on other people that are wicked people. I want to read Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And this is a, a, a newer translation. 
Paul is speaking, the Apostle Paul, he says, so you have no excuse. Anyone, whoever you are, who sits in judgment, when you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. Because you, who are behaving like a judge, are doing the same things. Didn't Jesus tell us that if you hate somebody, it's equivalent to murder in God's eyes? And if you don't forgive somebody that's hurt you, then God's not going to forgive you? And if you looked at someone lustfully in your brain, in your imagination, that in God's eyes it's the same as adultery. Having sex with somebody that doesn't belong to you. So the question this morning is, who do I struggle with and have a hard time forgiving? Have a hard time wanting God to bless them? Can you think of somebody in your life that hurt you, violated you, betrayed you, let you down, broke their promise, kicked you to the curb, and God wants you to forgive them, and you're having a hard time? Because that's exactly what God wants you to deal with today. I don't want you to have to get yourself put into a fish, right? You want to pass him around? Yeah, I'll give him away. But let's let him pass around first. If you really want the whale, ask Miss Brooke and she'll let you know. We want it only for children though, okay? Who are we going to talk about next, kids? Daniel. No, it doesn't, there isn't one for today. All right. Let's talk about Daniel. He's like the opposite of Jonah in many good ways. Right? Daniel was a teenager when he, his country was beaten in war and captured and all the kids his age that were from good families were taken as slaves to a foreign country called Babylon. Can you imagine being a, a, a kid in your own hometown and all of a sudden your country loses a war and the bad guys come and they round you up and they chain you together and then they take you for a 500 mile walk across the desert to a new place that's foreign to you. That's what happened to Daniel. He and his three friends. Just think about that for a minute. That's kind of traumatic. I would think I would be traumatized. I'd be going, what is going on, God? Where are you? But that's not what Daniel did. Daniel believed that God was with him in the middle of that situation. And, and when he went to Babylon, you, I mean, you've got to read the story in Daniel chapter 1. He ended up getting hired by the, by the king to work in the government of Babylon. Modern day, Brock, what is it? Modern day? 
Iraq. Brock has been to Iraq. You've been to Babylon too? Awesome. That's cool. I didn't know that. So you have questions about what Babylon looks like? There's not a whole lot to see, is there? <laughs> not anymore. But um, so Daniel goes to work for the empire and, and the whole next few stories, chapters in Daniel, are all about how he gets tested and how he keeps putting God first and he keeps refusing to compromise and how God blesses Daniel, protects Daniel, gives Daniel an incredible uh, interpretation of dreams. And then we read, when we get to chapter 6, Daniel gets betrayed by the people he works with. Now, some of you guys work in job situations where uh, the people around you don't like you and your job. And that's what Daniel had. He had people that were jealous of him because the king liked Daniel and, and Daniel had favor because God blessed him. And so these bad guys got together and they said, how are we going to get rid of Daniel? And then they thought, the only thing we can, that Daniel does that might, we might be able to get him in trouble for is his religion, his faith in God. Because Daniel got up three times a day. He went and got down and knelt in front of his window facing Jerusalem, which is a long ways away, and he got down and prayed to his God. And anybody that was looking and saw him at the window could see he was praying. And so these bad guys went to the king and said, King, you know, that you need to make a law that on this day uh, or this month or whatever it is, that anybody, everybody in the town has got to worship, can only pray to you in that day. And the king thought, oh, that sounds good. I want people to pray to me. And so the king said, sure, and he signed the law. And then they went back out and they got their, their binoculars out and, and they got their camera out and they got a picture of Daniel praying. Because the scripture says that when Daniel heard about this new law, that he went out and he went and prayed just like always. Didn't slow him down a bit. He refused to compromise. He refused to make anybody higher than God in his life. How about you? When you get tested and people come against you in your walk with God and try to get you to compromise, do you bend? Do you give in? Do you become a victim? Or do you continue to put God first in your life? The key takeaway from Daniel is God can give me and you strength and wisdom to live in our Babylon without compromising our faith. Now, I mentioned the other day that Brooke had told me one day, did you hear that they passed a law in Canada that attorneys and judges can no longer be Christians? Christians can no longer become an attorney or a judge. I thought, I don't believe that. So I got my phone out. I didn't tell her that. Got my phone out. And I opened it up. She already knew I was going to do it. I opened my phone up and I typed on Google and, and it said, holy cow, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled a few months back, I guess, that uh, 
professing Christians cannot become judges or attorneys. Does that stun you like it stuns me? It should. It's coming south from Canada. This mindset, the persecution is increasing. You're going to have opportunities to compromise, to be pushed to compromise your faith, probably sooner than later. This is just reality. And, and I believe that God is in it. When we read in the book of Revelation, I believe God allows His people to be tested because He wants us to learn to stand up for what we believe in and be strong. Later on in the book of Daniel, I think it's chapter 12, it says, the people who know their God intimately will be courageous and do exploits. I love that verse. But you've got to know your God. You can't be a, just a church-attending Christian. You've got to be somebody who's really serious about walking with Jesus. Can, God can give me strength and wisdom to live in my Babylon. This is becoming Babylon for us. We're beginning to start living in a foreign country, aren't we? We're in the Midwest. We're more protected. Go to Seattle. Go to Portland. Go to Boston. Go to New York. And you'll see what your country's becoming. And those are great places. I grew up in the Seattle area. Beautiful place. But it's changed a lot. And it's coming for us in the Midwest. These cultural changes are not going to go away. They're in our school system already, right? Health classes? <laughs> are they really teaching health? I won't go further. I'm not compromising, but I'm not going further. There's a, a word called discretion. So Daniel is an example for you and me that in the midst of the work... Yes, Kathleen? You're trying to what? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's a whole bunch of different now that uh, jobs. If you apply for, you have to take an LGBTQ uh, course to see if you qualify socially and politically in your beliefs. Yeah. And, and we here at Calvary, we love anybody from any background, any gender identity, any sexual orientation. We love you. But we're also going to help you know Jesus who wants to transform you into being a child of God and having a biblical relationships and marriage and having biblical identity in Christ and biblical sexual orientation. And our culture's view of things are not often very biblical. So thanks for sharing that, Cassie. Appreciate that. Daniel 6.10, we read, When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, that law saying that everybody could only pray to the king, he went home and prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God, and the application question is, where do I struggle the most with being tempted to compromise? Where do you struggle the most at being tempted to compromise?
because you're going to be tested. If you prepare your heart ahead of time, when the test comes, you'll go, aha, I'm being tested. Here's my opportunity to trust Jesus and stand firm. Now, the bottom of each of these points is a right now media resource that will help you go deeper in the Daniel one. It's a, a wonderful series of short videos called Thriving in Babylon. How can a believer thrive in a modern day Babylon by Pastor Larry Osborne? We actually did it as a Sunday school class two or three years ago. The one on the book of Jonah is credible too by Pastor Eric Mason. All right, third. Yes, there goes Daniel's lion. No, it doesn't. That lion looks like he's hungry. It won't fit. Well, I need somebody to model this. We're going to talk about Esther now. Where's Mira? Is she here or is she in class? Do we have any little girls left in here? Oh, good. Isla, would you come help me for a second? Would you put this crown on? And Can you stand on the stage? Put that on and show people what it looks like? Isn't she beautiful? Let's give her a hand. Now that belongs to Mira, so I can't give it to you. But you can wear it for a little bit, okay? All right, you can go sit down. Thank you so much. <laughs> Katie, make sure you get it back. <laughs> Esther was a young Jewish teenager. Two teenagers we're talking about today. At least Daniel was when he went into captivity. But Esther was a young girl whose parents died. We don't know how they died. We don't know if they were in a car wreck. Of course, that probably wouldn't be uh, happening back then. But they, they didn't make it. And she's living in Babylon, where Daniel was. And uh, except it's a little later on. And uh, her older cousin, Mordecai, adopted her and is raising her. And, um, and then when she's a teenager, she finds out there's a beauty contest and they ask her to be in the beauty contest. And she wins it. And, but she didn't maybe originally realize that the beauty contest means the winner gets to be with the king for a night. And if she pleases the king, you know what that means, then she might become the queen. And she does. She ends up becoming the queen of modern-day Persia. It's in a city called Susa, which is modern-day... Anybody? Persia? Where do the Persians live? Anybody? Iran. Iran. Okay. Did you know that modern-day Iran is only 50% Persian? The other half is a whole bunch of other people groups. They're all part of... Originally, it was called a Persian Empire. Modern-day Iran is a pretty good-sized country today, and it's run by extreme Muslims now. And um, it's not an easy place, and uh, people from our country are not generally welcome there. And you can see things in the news all the time about that. But Esther is married now to a guy named King Xerxes. <clears throat> and um, at the same time this happens, there's a bad guy who works for King Xerxes named Haman. And Haman gets a law passed by the king to destroy this group of people in the kingdom that disrespect Haman and, and, and uh, worship their own god. 
Guess what people group that is? The Jewish people. And guess what nationality Esther is? She's a Jewish girl. And so she's now the queen and she finds out a law has been passed that all of her people will be destroyed in about five months. And the king doesn't know she's Jewish. Which means the queen is also condemned. And so her cousin Mordecai, her stepdad, comes and tells her, says, Esther, you got to do something. And uh, so she, he says to her, he says, you think you're not going to get away. You're not going to survive just because you're queen. You're condemned to die too. And, and if you don't do something, God will find some other way to rescue his people. And Esther's reply, anybody know, remember Esther's reply? If I die, I die. And she determines she will do what it takes. Because she knows that if she cannot go to the queen, the king without being invited, and if you just walk into the throne room and the king doesn't extend his scepter towards you, your head gets cut off. Amen. <laughs> I wouldn't want that to happen. And uh, she didn't want that to happen. And so what did Esther do? She took three days to fast and pray and listen to God and ask God to work on behalf. And then she went and approached the king, went into the throne room, and the king extended his scepter towards her. And he said, what do you want, Esther? I'll do anything up to half my kingdom. And what did she say? I want to have a banquet, king, for you and this your wonderful... Uh, Executive Haman, the guy who wants to kill all the Jews, who doesn't know that Esther's a Jew. And so they have a wonderful banquet, and the king says, all right, Esther, again, tell me, what can I do for you up to half my kingdom? And, and she says, I'm going to have another banquet tomorrow with you and Haman. Maybe she was just trying to work up the courage. And the king goes, all right. So the next day they have this wonderful banquet, and the king finally says at the end of the meal, all right, Esther, Tell me what you want. You know what she says? I want you to spare my life and my people's lives. And the king goes, what? Who would dare threaten you? And Esther goes, he would! And points at Haman. And Haman freaks out. The king gets up and goes out inside onto the, onto the deck because he cannot handle all this information. And Haman runs over to the couch to, to try to get Esther to, to have mercy on him. And he trips and falls on Esther. And the king just at that moment's walking in and sees Haman laying on top of his queen. Well, guess what happened? It involves a sword. And it involves a neck being removed from a head. A head being removed from a neck. Yeah. Haman died. Actually, what they did is they took him away. He had... He had, he had um, so mad at Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him when he walked by that he had a 75-foot pole, a stake, put in his backyard to impale Haman on, I mean, to impale Mordecai on. And the king said, well, I, Mordecai saved my life. Why would I want to hurt Mordecai? And that's an earlier part of chapter 2, I think. And so the king said, impale Haman on that stake. And that's how Haman died. And, um, and then they changed, they made it a new law for the Jewish people that on that day, 
when the peoples were supposed to attack them, that they could all defend themselves and their property. And it turned out to be a, a huge, all the enemies of the Jews died, but the Jews all survived. So that became the modern-day Jewish festival of Purim. Purim is the, means the throw of the dice. has to do with how they chose that date. They threw dice to pick the date. So the key takeaway from Esther this morning is that God is at work behind the scenes for people who trust Him and obey Him and put Him first. Esther didn't know that God was going to allow Haman to trip and fall on top of her. She didn't know the king was going to extend his scepter and give her favor. All she knew was that she had to trust God and she had to obey God and do the thing that could have cost her her life. So how about you this morning? How can you prepare yourself to take a risk for God if it's needed? There's going to come a time in your life, many, maybe many times, when you're going to be challenged to take a risk for Jesus. To stand up and be counted. To even maybe disappoint people who don't believe in God and have power over you, like the king did. Are you going to take that risk and stand up for Jesus? and not compromise. In a lot of ways, Esther's real similar to Daniel, isn't she? Both of them refused to compromise. Esther's was probably more of an example of just being courageous. But I love the fact that she took those three days to pray and help, ask God to help her prepare. Esther 4.14 was the key verse there. Who knows if perhaps, this is Mordecai talking to her, you were made queen for just a time as this. And the same thing with us. Wherever you are, maybe God puts you there for a reason. We love these little ones. They're so precious. I don't mind if babies cry. I hope you can get away with that. It doesn't bother you. So the resource for Esther is a video series of short videos called Shouts in Silence. God is in control. It's studying the book of Esther by Dr. Beth DeFazio. Uh, there, there are five 17-minute videos if you want to go deeper into Esther. And finally, we're going to talk about Nehemiah. He was one of the shortest guys in the Bible since he was only Nehi, right? And Nehemiah, or Nehemiah, was called by God to build, rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. I think you might remember the story from last week. Some of you were here. But... Uh, Nehemiah was the butler for the king. And this is just maybe um, uh, before, actually, the story of Esther. And he's working as the cupbearer or butler. In other words, he he checked out and tasted all the drinks going to the king, so if any of them were poisoned, the king would know. Of course, that would be hard on Nehemiah. And hopefully, uh, we don't know that he ever got poisoned. That was a good thing. But um, he finds out from somebody that had come and visited from Jerusalem. Remember, a group of, of these exiles had gone back to Israel, to Jerusalem, and uh, were living there, and the city walls had been torn down, the temple was trashed, it was, the city had been burned, and so these people were just, you know, it was just like a, maybe, a, a, maybe a thousand people, and they were just living among the ruins. 
maybe living outside the city and, some, and trying to rebuild some of their homes and stuff. And this guy had come back and told Nehemiah, he said, Nehemiah, the place is just a disaster. The city we grew up in, the city of our fathers, our ancestors, that was such a, a, an incredibly beautiful place, is just a smoking ruin. And Nehemiah, lo- who loved his people, loved his, loved his city, was devastated. And so he began to cry out and pray and repent for the stupid things his people had done that got, them, got their city into that place because they disobeyed God so consistently. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, show me what I can do. And then he goes in to, to serve the king the next day. And the king says, why, why have you got a sad face on, man? You're not normally a sad guy. And Nehemiah says, well... How can I help but being sad when the city of my family and my forefathers and my, my people is, is in ruins? The gates are burned and the walls are torn down. And the king says, well, hey, what do you want to do? And he gives Nehemiah permission to go lead a team to start build, rebuilding the walls. And we had fun talking about this at our prayer meeting the other night, on Monday night. And if, and if you do have ideas and thoughts about that, I'd love to hear about it, by the way. And so Nehemiah goes, and what's the first thing he does? He goes out at night by himself with just a couple friends on his donkey to see what's really going on, to look at everything, and to pray. And Nehemiah has been praying. Remember we talked last week, God had a plan, and Nehemiah had tapped into God's plan by listening to God. So God's plan became Nehemiah's plan. And then Nehemiah took that plan to the city elders and the leaders of the people there and said, this is the plan God has given me. And they said, we can do this. And they started to rebuild. And they rebuilt that city in 50, all the walls. This is, if any of you have ever been to Israel, it's, it's not a little, little town with a little wall. They rebuilt that wall in 52 days. And it took everybody. Everybody was involved. Wherever anybody lived near a certain part of the wall, that became their part of the wall to rebuild. And so this guy who's a butler in a secular job, God used to rebuild his wall of his city. We talked last week about how God wants to rebuild the walls in us. Some cases we don't have walls. In other cases we got the wrong kind of walls. And in some cases, we just got big holes in our walls. Remember, we read that verse in Proverbs 24 or 29, I forget. It says, a person without walls, a person without self-control is like a city with no walls where the enemy can go in and out, in and out, just take advantage of you. Now, God wants us to have healthy walls, healthy boundaries, be able to, to be people that belong to the king and know how, what, who they can trust and who they don't keep don't, who they don't allow inside, who they do allow inside. God wants you and I to be, and he wants to rebuild our walls. Remember, the Lord said, I will be a wall around you. He can be a fire wall to us. He says, I will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem. Anyway, we could talk a lot about wall. But just a key takeaway there, God can do amazing things through people who catch his heart and trust him to take risks and act on God's plans that God gives them. God can do amazing things. Who would have ever thought these people could work together in unity 
when the enemy was attacking them. So they had to carry swords and trowels. At the same time, they worked on the wall. Now, I built a few brick block walls in my day. You take this, you put some mortar on it, put it on top, and then you set the block on top. You tamp it in place. You check it with a level. And that's how you build a wall. And there were probably, you know, a thousand or so people all working together. They built a wall that probably goes about two miles, two or three miles around the city. That's just the inner part of the city, too. I love this. Nehemiah 1.4 says, When I heard this, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the King of the God of heaven. Do you mourn about anything that's important to God? Now, you may mourn about utility prices, gasoline prices, which went up about 20 cents this last week per gallon. Maybe you mourn about your favorite sports team getting beaten, especially if you're a Huskers fan. Um, maybe you mourn about um, grocery cost, weather. It has been hot. Are you glad you don't live in Texas? <laughs> Alan, Alan said it was 126 in Paul Valley. That's Oklahoma. Oh, gosh. Hotter in Texas. Texas has got to be closer to hell than, right? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry, Alan. That wasn't very nice. We have a lot of friends in Texas. Pray for them. No. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. Nehemiah caught God's heart. Is there anything of God's heart that makes you weep? Are there people that you watch their lives fall apart as they do their own thing and walk away from God? Does that make you weep? Do you have a desire to see people's walls rebuilt? To see them know the living God and see their lives rebuilt? You've got to start there. Because if you don't have a passion, you don't catch God's heart, you're never going to do anything significant for God. God wants to use you and me. You pass this around. No, it's pointed, that's true. I'm not going to pass this one around. It's a nice little brick trowel. So how is God rebuilding your walls or working through you to rebuild other people's walls? When you think about that. I get to help a lot of people work on their walls, being a pastor. But I don't have to be the only one. Any of you can be used of God to help people rebuild their walls. You need to just ask the Lord, Lord, use me. And start walking close to Him and listening to Him, letting His Word fill you up. And He will use you. And He'll give you favor and you'll see miraculous things if you'll step out in faith and trust Him. Dr. Marcus Goodlow has a series of four two-minute videos called The Life of Nehemiah. It's really amazing. I was very deeply impressed watching them. So, this morning, which of these four do you relate most to? Think about it. 
Do you relate most to a frustrated prophet who's struggling to understand God's heart and struggling to forgive somebody else different than him and believe God wants to bless them? Do you relate to a government worker whose co-workers want to get him fired, actually killed, because he won't compromise? Or do you relate to a teenager who's being asked to risk her future in order to save her people? Or do you relate to the visionary who's trying to get discouraged people to work together? Rebuild their city. I pray this morning that you've been challenged by these examples of Jonah and Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah. And I pray that you'll do the devotional this week. I've got to help her. <clears throat> Hi. That little piece of paper is also a devotional this week. You can do one of these four, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and uh, answer those questions. I really encourage you, Right Now Media um, is a library of over 20,000 titles, all kinds of resources, Bible studies, and conferences and stuff that are free to any of us that go to Calvary. But I have to send you an invitation to connect you. And so I encourage you, you can also do this thing. You can use the little funny-looking squiggly thing on the right, the QR code, or you can text for the invitation, or you can do on your phone or your laptop the uh, link there, the website. When it says join slash C-A-L-A-O-G, that's short for Calvary A-O-G, Assembly of God. And so... You can do these without having to have me give you permission. And then you can resource all these for free. So I encourage you, if you want to go deeper and get serious with God, take advantage of some free resources that will challenge you, help you, and resource you. There's amazing stuff for parents. It is. It's on the bulletin too. All right, I want to close in prayer. And you guys got time to fellowship for 15 minutes before you get your kids. And uh, I encourage you to... They got to get their kids early? Because oh, the kids went early? Oh, because they've been there a long time. So get your kids to come back and fellowship. There you go. All right. How many people feel like God spoke something to you this morning? Come on. Let me see some hands. Okay. Good. I'm not going to quit this week. So... Maybe next week, no. Uh, we have a board meeting, an important one today. Please be praying for us. So, it's important. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving us these amazing stories of these people that were human beings like us, but had some really, really tough circumstances, and yet, because of their walk with you, their relationship with you, they overcame. They refused to compromise. Of course, I'm not talking about Jonah because at the end of the book of Jonah, he still hasn't made up his mind. We don't know what happened to Jonah. It's so weird, God, because Jesus said that the people that in Nineveh who heard Jonah's message are going to be in heaven with us, which is kind of weird, but it's what you said, Jesus. 
We don't know about Jonah, the prophet who was sent to them because of his attitude. We do know that your word says that if we won't forgive others, you will not forgive us. That's pretty scary. So help us, Lord, to deal with that issue in our lives, with the people that you're bringing to mind by your Spirit. Lord, we thank you so much for Daniel and his confidence that if he put you first, you'd take care of him. We're so thankful, Lord, for Esther, Lord, so courageous and put her life in her hands to take a risk because she knew that you were more real than anything else. And Lord, we thank you for Nehemiah, just a guy working a, a job who caught your heart, Lord, and took risks and did something great, mobilizing other people. So Lord, we ask you to help us in our lives, in our circumstances, to respond like these people did, these Daniel, Esther, and Nehemiah, Lord. And help us not respond like Jonah. <laughs> God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our kids. We ask that you'd bless us as we fellowship together. And Lord, we do pray for our board meeting that you would guide and direct us and help us. We pray for Calvary, Lord, that you would prosper us. And I pray you'd bless your people, Lord, as they trust you. And we go forward now in confidence in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.